Good morning, and welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Thank you so much for joining us on this rainy Sunday morning that the Lord has given to us. Whether you're in our auditorium or watching online, thank you so much for being with us. We'd also like to say Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. A couple of quick announcements. Don't forget all that goes on on Wednesday nights from the teens to the young adults uh, to Pastor Gary's class that meet on Wednesday evenings. Uh, we also have on the back table, uh, we're gathering the supplies for the blessing bags. There's a paper back there that explains what those are and what, you, what we will be doing with them as we move forward. Again, if you have questions on any of that, uh, you can come see me in the back. And don't forget the Lifeline uh, Pregnancy Center baby bottle campaign usually ends on Father's Day. We have extended that for a couple of weeks this year. July 4th, we'll be going back to one worship service. We'll be having our 930 Adult Connect classes and Sunday school classes for our children. And then at 1030, we will be having our uh, worship service in the auditorium. That is on July 4th. Also, July 4th, we'd like to invite you to come to a picnic. Uh, we'll be meeting over in the fellowship hall uh, for hot dogs and hamburgers, which we as the church will supply. And again, that is on uh, July 4th on Sunday. Uh, we'd love to invite you to stay. It'll be right after our morning service. Thank you so much for those of you who contributed money, uh, who prayed for our uh, junior campers as they went to the Anchorage this past week. We had a wonderful, wonderful week. The Lord protected us with safety. He also allowed our, our children to sit under the preaching of God's Word, uh, and many of them made decisions to either accept Christ as their Savior or take the next step spiritually. So again, thank you for your part in that. Vacation Bible School is coming up just around the corner, July 11th through the 15th. Rocky Railway, Jesus' Power Pulls Us Through, is our theme. There is a link on our website for you to click on to sign up. I would love to have you register your kids for Vacation Bible School. Our penny offering this year uh, will be going to uh, Child Life Romania uh, to purchase books that the, help the children there in that area uh, receive treatment that for cancer and other life-threatening illnesses. Uh, so be saving your pennies for our vacation Bible school. Uh, we do have our offering boxes in the back, uh, located on the back wall. Uh, again, thank you for those of you who have continued to give. Again, we welcome you to our service. We're now going to turn it over to Pastor Jay for a word of prayer. Good morning. So good to see all of you here with us today uh, to worship. Uh, we welcome you this morning. I wanted to share before we um, pray, um, we had a special speaker with us last week and he presented to us a uh, library need that their ministry has. And I just wanted to share with you, to this point, we have raised about $10,700 towards that, um, that opportunity. And so if you have questions about that, uh, that is certainly a need. I think the goal is about 70000 that they need to raise for that project. Um, so they're well on their way. But if you have questions about that, I would love to speak with you after about it and tell you how you can give um, to the ministry that was mentioned for the VBS ministry just a moment ago. So let's pray together and uh, we'll begin our service. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. And as always, we thank you for uh, the privilege of worshiping as the body of Christ. Thank you for uh, our fathers today as we stop and celebrate Father's Day. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that we have opportunity to set this day aside and to, uh, to remember as fathers and, and, uh, and, and those of us who, all of us clearly uh, have opportunity to, to say thank you to our dads for their 
uh, impact that they've had on our lives. And as fathers, I pray that we would continue to be godly examples to our children. And we just pray that we would remember our dads today in a way that would uh, bring glory to you. And ultimately, our human fathers bring direct attention to you, our heavenly father. And no matter the condition of our earthly father and no matter some of the things that maybe our, where our fathers have not certainly been perfect, we know that you are our perfect heavenly father. And we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. So we pray now that we would lift our hearts and, and, and lips as we sing in a way that would draw our attention to the truths that we're going to hear and we're going to sing about. And then as we look into your word here in just a little bit, that we would be challenged and changed and become more like Christ as our time together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see you this morning. Let me say Father's Day to all of our fathers who are here today. Uh, we're going to begin this morning by singing the new song that we've been learning uh, here for the last few weeks, The Lion and the Lamb. Uh, again, this is a song that really communicates a lot of truth about our Savior's character, that he is the Lamb of God who sacrificed himself to take away the sin of the world, but he's also the victorious, resurrected Lion of Judah. Uh, who roars in power and fights our battles. So let's stand as we sing The Lion and the Lamb. He's coming on the clouds Kings and kingdoms will bow down And every chain will break As broken hearts declare His praise For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah He's roaring with power and fighting the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. gates, make way before the King of Kings, the God who comes to save, is here to set the captives free, for who can stop the Lord Almighty, our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah, he's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Stop. 
is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Amen. Let's continue to thank our Heavenly Father for our Redeemer. Down to me from heaven above. 
'twas the gift of my Father's love, and my Father's love is strong and true. Always believing, always seeing me through. So no matter what happens in His grand design, I'll be fine with my Father's love. Safe and secure now in His love. I find here my place of worth as one of his own. And I don't need everything this world wants to give, cause I live with my Father's love. And my Father's love is strong and true. Amen. Why don't we stand once again as we continue to sing about the love of our Heavenly Father that's such a wonderful picture uh, that earthly fatherhood and earthly, the love of our earthly fathers is such a wonderful picture of uh, that, that love that sent Christ, that sent our Redeemer that we sang about a few minutes ago. Let's sing about our Father's love. The Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon. 
take just a moment at this point in our service to welcome those of you that are visiting this morning. If this is your very first time with us, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning here at Grace. And I would invite you, if you would, to take a moment and use the card that is in front of you, printed on that. There's a QR code. It's in the pew. It should be in the pew in front of you, hopefully. And you can scan that card. And what that will do, it'll take you to a questionnaire. You can answer a couple of questions for us, and that way we can follow up with you. If you have any questions about our ministry, we would just like to have the privilege of getting to know you a little bit better. And so please take advantage of that. I would invite you to find 1 Samuel chapter 18. We are working through a study on the life of David. And uh, if you're if you're visiting here for the first time, you're jumping into this study, or maybe you're not super familiar with uh, David, or you're not familiar with the book of 1 Samuel very much, uh, we want to take some time this morning and um, look into David's life a little bit more particularly, and just to set the stage of where we have been in the previous chapter, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, is arguably one of the best known accounts in all of Scripture. In fact, it's, an, it's a story, and by story I don't mean fiction. I mean, a historical account of an event that took place that we hear even in popular culture, and it is the story of David and Goliath. And you're probably familiar with that story, even if you may not be familiar with the, all the specifics of David's life and what happened in his life, you're very likely familiar with the story, the account of David and Goliath. Well, as I have argued when we looked at that account a couple of weeks ago now, I would say that that story is not really about David and Goliath at all. It is actually about David and Saul. And what is happening is 
Saul has been on the throne of Israel. He has been the king. He's been the residing king now for some period of time. However, his leadership has failed. He has become an ungodly leader. He has uh, rejected God, who was the one who put him on the throne. And as a result of that, David, this shepherd boy, the son of a man by the name of Jesse, has been anointed by the prophet Samuel, who this book is named after. He has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And David is a young man at this point in time. When we meet him in chapter 17, we see him in chapter 17. He was a shepherd boy. He was not even at the battle originally. He was too young to be in the army. But he has now become the man that God has chosen to take over as king for King Saul. David doesn't know when. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know the particulars of that. All we know is that David is going to be crowned king and Saul is going to be replaced. Now, as we come to chapter 18, we're going to look at this chapter. We're going to just look at the first 16 verses or so of this chapter. And we are going to look at the dynamic that is beginning to develop in David's life, in particular, what is happening between David and Saul. Now, in the opening verses of this chapter, we actually are going to find some very practical teaching on what we can learn about relationships. In fact, when you think about relationships, you, you probably know this, you, you would probably agree with this, is that God has created human beings to be social. We are created to interact with other human beings. Now, if you are, have been alive for any longer than maybe five or 10 minutes, you probably have learned that relationships are not always easy. Relationships can be complicated. They can be difficult. They can be very traumatic at times. But nonetheless, God has created us to be within relationships. Now, as we are watching, in a sense, the rise of David and he is rising to the throne, he is going to have all kinds of relationships. And part of success, whatever success means to you, success to me means pleasing and honoring God and being obedient to God. That is success. That as David is experiencing now these successes, he is going to now begin to have increasing uh, amount of relationships around him. And some of them are positive and some of them quite frankly as we're going to see are very difficult and downright traumatic to David. So managing relationships is essential. Now one of the advantages that I've had over the last several months of preaching these messages twice is I get to fix what I got wrong in the first one which is really good. And I was thinking about it in our interlude between the couple of services here is that I was thinking it being Father's Day, I'm not just talking to dads today, I'm talking to everybody, but I'm going to talk to men in general a little bit more specifically. But I was thinking about fatherhood and that one of the best gifts that we can give to our children as a father is how to manage relationships. And how relationships can bring us great joy in our lives. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at David's life. And we're going to look at his interaction in two very 
contradictory relationships, very contrasting relationships. So we're going to, first of all, look at his positive relationship that he develops with a young man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan happens to be the son of King Saul. Jonathan happens to be the name of my oldest son, our oldest son, and his name is derived from this person in Scripture. And part of the reason you will see why we love this name so much is as you look at this man, you're going to learn about him a little bit more. So let's begin reading 1 Samuel chapter 18 and begin reading in verse number 1. Scripture says this, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, he being David, this is a reference back to the end of chapter 17, when David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse. We're picking right up after the Goliath incident. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, him being David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Okay, let's begin kind of digging into these first four verses and looking at this very unique and this very special relationship that we find between David and Jonathan. Now, we don't have time today to look at Jonathan in in particular this morning, but I would urge you to go back to chapters like chapter 14 of this very same book, and you can get a little bit of insight into the kind of man that Jonathan was. And as I was thinking about Jonathan and David, there's a very sort of basic principle when we think about relationships. Typically, we we are friends with people who are like us. I get the idea that opposites attract and there's something to that, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a couple of minutes. But predominantly, there, there's a lot of commonality between the people that we have close relationships with, the kind of relationship that we see in David and Jonathan. By the way, sometimes that friendship is based on very positive attributes of a relationship, but unfortunately, sometimes the commonality that we have with people is actually destructive. Does that make sense? So we, the commonality can be positive or it can be negative. In this, in this incident between David and Jonathan, we find two men that are friends and their friendship is based on the commonality of a godly character. For instance, one of the things that they have in common is they were both men of courage. Again, go back and read more about Jonathan's life in chapter 14. You will find that Jonathan, like David, was a man of great courage. He was not somebody that was going to sit back and watch God's enemies come against his people. He was going to take action. He was a courageous man, much like David had demonstrated in the incident with Goliath. We also know that both of these two men were very generous and very sacrificial. They were men that were willing to give. They were not takers. They were not defined as people that enter into a relationship with the primary question of what am I going to get out of this? That is not their goal. They were very sacrificial men. They were very generous men. But thirdly, they were also very gracious men. Now, 
we will see this illustrated for us in David's life in just a few moments, but we also see this in Jonathan's life in this particular text. Specifically, we see it in verse number four. When David here is, and Jonathan, they form this friendship, which we'll describe that in just a moment. Jonathan actually removes his royal garments and he gives them, he puts them on David. Now that seems maybe a little bit odd to us as, as Americans living today, but understanding that Jonathan, whose father was Saul, who was the king, he was the prince. Meaning in a normal lineage, he would be next in line to be king. David has already, in the previous story, the previous account with Goliath, he has already been given the king's armor, even though he was, he was too small to wear it, had to take it off. Here, the prince is giving him his armor and giving him his clothing as this image of this picture of Jonathan recognizing this is going to be the next king, not him. Very gracious, very generous, not selfish. We also see, we're going to learn this about these two men, is they are very steadfast, loyal, and dedicated people. But arguably the most important aspect of David and, and Jonathan is the fact that they both feared God more than they feared man. They were obedient. They were godly. They had a character that was built around Scripture. Now, just just unpack the verses a couple for a couple of moments. We see in verse one that as Saul is speaking to Jonathan, David and his soul is knitted together. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And Saul then takes David, and David is no longer going to return back to his house. He is now going to become a permanent resident within the king's court. So now he is going to be called to serve Saul, the very man, by the way, that he's been called to replace and anointed to replace, a man who is going to mistreat David again and again and again and again. And again, as we'll see in a moment, this man is the one that David is going to submit himself to and show even Saul great honor. Now, verse 3, we find this, that Jonathan and David make this covenant together. They make this very, um, very significant covenant or promise or vow with one another, and they are promising to be faithful friends to each other. Now, let's say this before we go much further. We're not going to talk about marriage today, okay? We're not going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about relationships in general. But marriage is a covenant of companionship. That is the definition biblically of marriage, that we marry one man, one woman for one lifetime. It is a commitment. It is a covenant, a vow exchanged between two people. What is taking place on the friendship level, and our culture has tried to read into this account far more than what the writers of Scripture are talking about. This is not a physical relationship. This is a relationship of two men entering into a friendship, a relationship that was for the purpose of bettering one another, for the purpose of companionship, but not marital companionship, not a physical relationship. The Scriptures never, by the way, highlight something or praise something that God specifically says is wrong. So this is not an inappropriate, unwholesome relationship. In fact, later on in chapter 18, which we'll get to next week, it talks about David marrying the king's daughter, Michael. So we'll get to that in due time. So don't, don't read our cultural context into this, into this account. 
Jonathan's gift to David, the prince, Jonathan, gives him his raiment. And this is a wonderful picture that we see of David being recognized even by Jonathan as the rising king over Israel. Now, here's where we live. One writer said it this way. He said, some people make enemies instead of friends because it's a lot less trouble. There's a lot of truth in that, isn't it? Sometimes for some people, just making enemies is easy. We can make enemies with people very quickly. But friendship, we think about the elements of friendship that we're going to learn here in a moment from this picture of David and Jonathan. This is a very unique commitment to one another in which they are vowing to each other to be faithful friends and true friends over the course of a long period of time. Now, what is curious to me, God being the sovereign ruler over our world, understands that David, even though he is now going to be king, he is going to face a very significant time of trial and persecution leading up to becoming king, understanding that on a human level, David very much needs this person, this man Jonathan, in his life for support and somebody who would be there with him during these difficult times that he's going to face. And we will see that again and again and again and again. Now, this morning, I want to be very practical with us today. And I want to begin by talking about five levels of relationships. And then what I want to do is take David and Jonathan and look at what a godly relationship looks like, and then we will turn it around and look at what a less than godly relationship looks like between Saul and David. So let's take a few moments and look at levels of relationship. First of all, the vast majority of humanity are strangers to you. What you know about them is very superficial. You know what they look like. You know what clothes they wear. You may know some very general things about them, but they are strangers. You probably don't know their name. You probably don't know their last name. You probably don't know the names of any of their children. You don't know where they work unless they're at work when you meet them. You know very, very little about them. Strangers are not people that you walk up to on the street and start telling them your most intimate details of your life. You don't tell them your social security number. You don't tell them what sin you struggle with. You don't tell them your address. You don't tell them all the very intimate things about your life. If you are doing that, please stop doing that. That is weird. Okay? Don't do that. You don't do that with someone that you don't know. How do you treat a stranger? You treat them with kindness. You treat them with respect. You treat them with courtesy. Okay? And that, by the way, as a believer in Christ, we should treat no one other than with kindness, respect, and courtesy. No one, even if they're being rude to you. Okay? So we have to understand that as a stranger, this is the vast majority of humanity you don't personally know. Number two is acquaintances. And there's a fair number of people in your life and in mine that are acquaintances. These are people that we have occasional contact with. 
I was thinking this morning about the bank that I go to, and I walk into the bank, and there is a lady who works there, and pretty much every time I go in, she's an acquaintance. I know her first name. I know she has a couple of children. One of her daughters is the same age as our oldest son. And so there is an exchange of, how's your daughter? Where is she going to college next year? What is going on with her? And she will ask me the same. We're acquaintances. Are we friends? No. We are acquaintances. We know something general about each other. I know where she works. She knows where I bank. We know general things about each other. Again, the vast majority of people fit into one of those two categories. Now, before I go further, I want to say this. Part of the issue in our culture is we have taken the word friend and we have divorced it of a lot of meaning. In our Instagram culture, Facebook culture, social media culture, we have lots of friends. No, you really don't. I always, I don't, I don't do the old Instagram thing, but I follow our kids. And I always like it when famous people go on and they're on their Instagram account and they're talking to maybe million of, millions of people at times. And they're like, we just love you. And we love you so much. No, they don't. They don't even know you. You're not their friend. They're not your friend. They don't love you. They love the money you send them, sure. They don't love you. Don't, don't get too wrapped up in that stuff. The vast majority of people are strangers and acquaintances. Now, the third level would be this. This is a casual friend. This is someone that we have common interests in. We like some of the same activities. We have regular interaction with them. We may go to dinner with them. We may go to lunch with them. But it's very casual. There's not this deep sort of seated emotional connection. We're friends, but it's a very casual friendship. We, have a, we probably all have a number of people in that category. Now, the last two is where we want to spend our time. The next one is close friends. And you probably have a few more people in this category. You share similar values, similar beliefs. You have a common worldview. You have a common life goal. You spend significant time together. And there is some level of emotional connection. You probably don't have a lot of people in this, in this level of friendship. There's probably very few. But the final one is where I want to talk to you about today is intimate friends. Again, I'm not talking about marriage, okay? I would argue, however, before I leave the marriage conversation, that your marriage between you and your, for me, for me and my wife, our level of friendship, our level of relationship is unlike anyone else's. There's certainly a physical aspect to that, but there is a connection to us that we don't share with any other human being. Marriage is a very unique relationship that is very important, and I'm putting it over here because we're not talking about that today. Although I do believe that the person you marry, there has to be a level of friendship before you go any further than that. That's about a in fact, even here, their souls were knit together. They were soulmates. They were friends. What I'm talking about today is a true, genuine friend, an intimate friend, someone who knows who you are. And the purpose of this relationship is to develop your character 
The purpose of this relationship is to build trust, to have honest discussions about your fears, about your goals, about your failures, about your dreams. This is a person that you are willing to bear your soul to because you trust them. It's a level of information you would never think about giving to a stranger. It's a level of information that you wouldn't even give to a casual friend. It's a level of information that you might not even give to your closest friends. And I would say that when we talk about this kind of intimate relationship, I would argue a couple of truths about this. Number one, this is something that most of us run from. I'm going to be a little bit more specific. Men, we run from this as fast as we can. We want no part of it. We don't want somebody to truly know who we are and what we're afraid of and what our sin struggles are and the areas of our life that are far from perfect. We generally, as men, generally speaking, do not readily engage in these kinds of relationships. We don't like them. They make us very uncomfortable. But as we are going to see, you need them. You must have them. And I would argue this. I know this is going to be shocking to you, but I'm almost 51. I mean, I know I look like a teenager, but I I truly am almost 51. In 51 years of my life, there is maybe five people other than my wife five men that I would say I have ever had this kind of relationship with. They're rare, but they're important. They're vital. David, the man after God's own heart, I believe Jonathan was a gift from Almighty God to David because he understood on a human level that David, yes, he had God in heaven. That's true, of course. But he needed flesh and blood to be alongside of him for the battles of life and the troubles of life and the trials of life. And gentlemen, I'm, speak, I'm a man, sorry, I'm speaking predominantly to the men today in this regard. I know this, there are, my wife is great and wonderful supporter of me, but I need men in my life to look me in the eye and say, you're crazy. You're wrong. You're sinning. Your heart is messed up. What are you thinking? You see, we don't want those kinds of relationships because we don't want to hear that. What we want is people telling us how wonderful we are all the time. We want people, I learned this in counseling a long time ago. The vast majority of people just come to see you because they want validation that they are okay doing whatever they want to do. As we'll see in a moment, this kind of friend looks you in the eye and says, you're wrong. You're out of line. You're ungodly right now. How many of you have those kinds of friendships in your life? I, I, have, I won't mention mine by name. I, I have a couple in my life right now that I very much praise the Lord for, and I won't name either of those at this moment. But I will name one because <laughs> he's not here, and you probably likely will never meet him because he lives in New Zealand, okay? I don't see him very often either anymore. But um, I, I remember I, I was in seminary when I met this man. His first name is Joe, and if Joe ever gets a hold of this, What's up, buddy? Um, I remember sitting in my pickup truck um, when I was cool and owned a truck back in seminary days. And I'm sitting in my pickup truck, and Joe and I were kind of getting to know each other a little bit. He grew up in the Midwest. We didn't hold that against him too much. He didn't grow up in, you know, 
cool northeast like we did but he was he was from the midwest and so we we just really hit it off and i remember sitting in my truck and we were having these conversations and words are coming out of my mouth and i'm like i have never said that to another human being except my wife like ever i can't believe i just trusted you with that kind of information you know what's funny joe didn't look over at me across my truck and say what you're weird dude he looked at me and goes yeah man i struggle with that too let's help each other in that area let's keep each other accountable let's work together on that and through the years we became soulmates our wives became soulmates when they were here a couple years ago they bought their rv and slept in our driveway in the RV, not, in the, not on the concrete, in the, inside the RV. And it's like, if they walked in right now, it would be like no time has passed since I've seen them. Just that kind of friendship. Well, this is the kind of relationship that David and Jonathan developed. And I want us now that we think through these kinds of relationships, I want to talk to you particularly about five marks of this kind of intimate relationship. What does this look like? Well, number one, within these kinds of relationships, there is a sense of sacrifice. The vast majority of relationships are built around selfishness. What do I get out of this relationship? What am I going to achieve by this relationship? When you look at David and Jonathan, there was a sense of sacrifice. There was a sense of giving. It was not about selfishness. Companionship produces joy because it is produced on one another, serving one another for the betterment of one another. And yet the vast majority, very often, of our relationships are built on what we get from a relationship rather than what we can bring to the relationship. Number two, in these kinds of relationships, there is a sense of loyalty, it's not blind loyalty, it's, and we'll talk about this in a moment. It's not blind loyalty, but there's a sense in which this relationship is not going to end every time you fail. It's not going to end every time you make a mistake. It's not going to end every time there is conflict. Conflict is part of life. Conflict is part of friendship. Conflict is a part of being human. It needs to be managed biblically. It needs to be managed well. But it's not saying that in this kind of relationship, there's never any conflict. Oh, of course, there's going to be some level of conflict. But the sense of loyalty, this picture that we have of David and Jonathan, of this covenant that they made with each other, and do carry that over to a marriage. That's what a marriage is, this ultimate commitment. And vow that we make to another person to stay married to them. And David and Jonathan made this kind of commitment that they were not going to be fair weather friends. That they were friends as long as they got what they wanted. They were friends as long as it was convenient or friends as long as it benefited them. This was a sense of loyalty. By the way, the road that they are going to go down together is not pretty. It's not fun. It's going to be a very difficult journey for them. Number three, there's a sense of comfort in these kinds of relationships. There's a freedom to be who God created you to be. 
Now, I'm going to put an asterisk beside that, and it'll go along with number four. By that, I don't mean that you can just be a, a sinner living in sin, disregarding God's word, and your, other fr- your friend just goes, ah, go for it. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a level of comfort that you can just be who you are, warts and all, idiosyncrasies and all. We all have them, this kind of friendship. But number four And this is what, to me, sets these kinds of relationships off from all of the others, and that is they are built on a sense of truth. They are built around a sense of telling one another the truth. It puts Proverbs 27, 6 into action. That says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Think about that for a moment. The wounds of a friend. I thought friends didn't hurt each other. Friends don't manipulatively and vindictively hurt each other. That's true. But there are times that you have to love someone enough to tell them the truth. How many of you like to be on the receiving end of that information? Typically, we want no part of that. Again, we just want people to validate us, tell us how wonderful we are, tell us how great we are, tell us how perfect we are. It's called flattery, saying to your face what they're probably not saying to you behind your back. So, Scripture says that this kind of friendship, David and Jonathan, was built on truth, and truth speaks the truth in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Most of us prefer the kisses of an enemy any day over the faithful infliction of a wound to our soul because our friend loves us enough to tell you you're wrong. You're sinning against God. You're acting foolish. You're acting selfish. You're acting like a child. Most of us don't want to hear that. We want to hear wonder. We're great. Number five, and this is important too, and this to me is the second part that sets these relationships off, is there is a sense of encouragement in these relationships. And I would add the word, another E word, there is a sense of edification in these kinds of relationships. This is what I said a while ago. Sometimes what we have in common with people is negative. And they drag us down, or maybe we're dragging them down, or we're just dragging each other down in particular. Michelle and I, when we first got married, we had a couple of friends in our lives that we would get together with them, and we noticed a common pattern. They were always critical. They were always bickering. They were always mean, not mean, but they were always putting somebody down. They were critical, criticizing, difficult. And then Michelle and I would get drawn into it. And before long, we were griping and complaining and being critical too. It's like, okay, that is not a healthy relationship. That is not an edifying relationship. That is a relationship that is destructive. And so when we think about a relationship, this kind of intimate relationship between David and Jonathan, there was a sense of encouragement, a sense of edification. Hebrews 3.13 comes to mind, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, a true friend, when you become critical and you become disjointed and you become 
resentful and you become bitter and you become a good friend looks at you and says, I love you enough to tell you to stop. That's wrong. Don't talk like that. Why would you be critical? Why would you be griping about that? That's wrong. It's sin. Don't do that. Hebrews 10.24 goes on. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to faith and good works. So when we look at this relationship that David and Jonathan shared, it is one that characterized by, it is characterized by these five marks of an intimate relationship that would bring glory to God through the process of their characters being refined by having this kind of friendship. Now let's look at the flip side of this for a few moments. Let's look at the adversarial kind of relationship. We find this now in chapter 18, verse 5. It says this, it says, And and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Hmm. Things are going pretty well for David. Successful. Wherever he went. So that Saul set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The popularity of David is pretty high. Things are going along pretty well. Saul's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. I got this new young protege coming along. He's fighting my battles. He's doing really well until, until verse 6. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the city of Israel, of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with, a tambor, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Understanding that scripture at times uses expressions of poetic nature, and he's not, these aren't to be taking literal, but don't miss the point. Saul is successful. He's killed a thousand, but David, he's even better than Saul. He's killed 10,000. How do you like it when people are more successful than you are? How do you respond when someone is doing better than you. I, I learned this about leadership. Leadership, someone said, is something to be held onto very loosely. And your prayer is that a protege, someone, will come up through the ministry, in my case, in pastoral ministry, come up through the ministry, take your place, and be greater than you. Isn't that the point of leadership? Training people, giving them the baton, rooting them on, and praying they have more success than you. That's the prayer. That's the hope. That's leadership. Saul doesn't define leadership the way that I do, apparently, because watch, watch what happens in verse 8. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands and what more can he have but the kingdom he's out to get me and saw i david from that day on the next day a harmful spirit from god rushed upon saul and he raved within his house he's throwing a little temper tantrum little selfish childish saul 
having his little meltdown back at his house while David was playing the lyre and he did as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand. This is going to get good. And Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him. Notice the next word, twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. We'll learn next week that one of the reasons he sends David out to fight more is because he's hoping he gets killed. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fear for all of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Now let's take a look at Saul as a negative example of how people think oftentimes in relationships. Now, I came across this story a number of years ago, and I want to, it's fiction, okay, this is not a true story, but it's an illustration about how we think sometimes. Do this before I read this. Think in your mind, somebody right now, be honest with yourself. Be honest, it's okay. That you are resentful toward right now. Maybe you're resentful to them because they are experiencing success that you think you deserve. I I remember years ago that people got positions that I thought I should get. Being resentful, frustrated, angry. Ask yourself if this is how you think. Listen to this little story. The story is told of two shopkeepers. They were bitter rivals. Their stores were actually positioned right across the street from one another. And each day when a customer would come into each other's business, they were keeping track of how many customers they got and how many customers their rival got. If one got a customer, he would smile across the street and triumph over his rival. One night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers in a dream. And the angel said to him, again, this is fiction, said unto him in a dream, he said, I will give you anything that you ask. But remember this, for everything that you receive, your competitor will receive twice as much. If you desire to be rich, you can be very rich. But your competitor will be twice as wealthy as you. If you ask to be healthy and live a very long life. You can have it, but your competitor will live longer and he will be healthier than you. Finally, the angel asked, so then what is your desire? The shopkeeper frowned. He thought for a moment and then he finally said, here is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. Some of you got that. Some of you are working on it. (laughs) Strike me blind in one eye so my competitor suffers even more. That means he's blind in both eyes. That's what that means. Is that how we think? Well, let's take a look at these five marks of an adversarial relationship. And start to ask yourself this question. Do your relationships more look like David and Jonathan for the purpose of spiritual benefit and edification? Or do they look more like this? 
Notice the marks of, a, of an adversarial relationship we find from Saul. First one in verse 8, the very first part, the text tells us that Saul became angry. David makes me so mad. Actually, in, these case, in this case, those women singing praise to David, they make me so mad. You know, no one has the power to make you mad. You know that, right? When we get angry, it is because of our own sin and our own hearts. And here it is David's, excuse me, Saul's jealousy of David and his resentment over David's success that leads him to the place that he has become angry. I've been telling my kids for years. When you come home and you're angry at something someone else did, you are giving that person a lot of control. And when we are angry with somebody, and it's going to lead me actually to one of the others that we'll get to in a minute. When we are angry with somebody, the more angry and resentful Saul became of David, he tells us he eyed him. He watched every move he made. Every breath he took, he was watching him. He was, he was looking at him because he was consumed with him. His anger drove him to the place that David was, in a sense, controlling his life. Because he gave it away. Rather than seeking help and, and depending on God, he becomes angry, verse 8 tells us. And then second part of verse 8 tells us why he became angry. It's because he's jealous. He has ascribed 10,000 to David. They've only given me 1,000. What does he want? The whole kingdom? Resentment, jealousy over David's success. Again, isn't our prayer as believers that people we are investing in become more successful than us? The right answer for Saul was to go to David and make him his protege to bring him along and hand him the baton for the glory of God. But Saul couldn't do that because he was too consumed with resentment and jealousy. Which leads him to then the third aspect of that, and that is suspicion. The text tells us he eyed him. I don't just read past that word. This is an intensive word. It means exactly what I said a moment ago. He was watching everything David did because he was out to get him. Man, that's exhausting. And notice, by the way, David never, never made any statement about overthrowing Saul. He never threatened Saul. He never put together a rebellion to throw him off the throne, even though he was anointed king. David never did anything that would give Saul the illusion, the delusion, that he was going to try to harm Saul, which we'll get to in a moment as well. But then number four, notice he becomes vengeful. I notice, I always picture it this way. I don't know if Saul was doing this or not, but he's sharpening his javelin, his David's over there watching him. And all of a sudden, he picks it up and throws it at him. He doesn't try to kill him. He just tries to pin him to the wall. As if that's any better. I guess it's better. Now, you're probably not throwing, I hope, please don't throw darts and javelins at people. Don't do that. But we throw the barbs of our words at people. We throw the hateful speech that we use either in person or in, through social media is our safe way to do it because we're, we're too cowardly to do it in person. 
We throw the barbs of insults. We throw the barbs of all these unkind words. And so we have here, well, don't get too easy on yourself. Well, I'm not vengeful like that. I've never thrown a knife at anybody. I've never thrown a sword at anybody. Yeah, but how many insults have you thrown at people? How many people through the course of your day do you insult under your breath and mutter in your mind about how ridiculous they are? And then finally... This word is very interesting. When we think about Saul, it says multiple times he became fearful of David. Fearful of what? Again, David never threatened him. Saul's the one throwing swords at people. What was he so afraid of? Saul was afraid of the same thing you're afraid of. That someone's going to prove themselves to be more successful than you. That their reputation might outlast yours. That their influence may become greater than yours. I come back and ask you this very simple question as believers in Christ. Isn't that the goal? To take people to produce more good works for the purpose of the kingdom so that people flourish. And if people are more gifted than you and they're better than you and they have more quote-unquote success than you, praise God, I would say. Isn't that the point? And Saul here is so consumed with fear because he could see the writing on the wall. David is going to become greater than me and his pride and his arrogance and his selfishness, he couldn't tolerate it. And it drove him literally over the emotional edge to the point that he is willing to try multiple times to take David's life. Now, I leave you in conclusion with a couple of, couple of final thoughts on this topic. Number one, what kind of friendships are you building? Do you have the courage to build a truly intimate relationship with someone, not a physical relationship, I'm not talking about that, an intimate friendship with someone for the purpose of becoming this kind of soulmate that would make you more like Christ. Do you have the courage to do that? My second question to you is, what kind of friend are you more like? Are you more like David's relationship with Jonathan? Are you more like Jonathan? Or do you approach relationships a lot more like Saul? Self-centered, childish, vengeful, sinful, anger. Go down the list. Which one describes you more? Another thought struck me at the end of the second service when I reached this point in the sermon, being Father's Day. I hear this more at Mother's Day, but I hear this on Father's Day sometimes too. Is that not all of us, let me say this before I say that. I talked to my dad this morning, if you haven't talked to yours, and I've said this before. When I think about my dad's 
influence over me. One of the things that my dad taught me, he never sat me down and taught me necessarily a few times, but it was more by his example, is work ethic. If you, my dad did say this, if you can get out of bed, no body parts are falling off, get yourself to work, do your job, don't complain, work and work hard. I learned that from my dad, and I praise, the, I praise the Lord for that. But some, either, I know people, they don't even know who their father is. Their human father. I know some who have grown up with fathers that have done horrific things. And I started thinking about Jonathan, not my Jonathan, the Jonathan of the Bible. He didn't grow up with a stellar father. He didn't grow up in a perfect home, far, far from. Oh, his dad talked religion when it was convenient, sure. But Jonathan became a godly man, even when his father wasn't. Now, for those of us as dads, we should be a godly father. Perfect, not a perfect father on the planet. But my prayer is that we as dads would be examples to our children to be like Jonathan, to be like David, men that are men enough, man enough to have this kind of relationship. With everybody, don't do that. That's crazy. But you better have somebody that is in your life, not just your wife, someone in your life who loves you enough to tell you the truth even when it hurts. Applies to ladies as well. But may it be that we become people of character, godly people, that when we are in a relationship with someone, that we are helping them become more like Christ so that they someday will have a bigger influence than we ever imagined. Isn't that exciting? That's what God's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the examples that we find in these verses of Scripture. May we be men and women that reflect the kind of character we see in David and Jonathan. God, I pray that as we are dismissed in a moment that you would go before us and give us safety out as we travel home today. And God, that if there is someone here this morning that is not sure of their salvation, that maybe they would get uh, someone to talk to them before they go. And maybe there are some that have questions about relational issues and things that they need to get some help with. I pray that you would give them the courage to talk and to find someone that can help them. Lord, dismiss us now with your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Have a good day. I'll be here at the front. If you have any questions or anything you would like to talk about, Pastor Brian is in the back. If you would like to speak with him, God bless you. Have a good day.